good. It's been about 60 seconds. There you go. Um, so I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll jump right in. We have a lot to get through, as always. Um, so let's pray, and then we'll begin. Father, we, we praise you for who you are and what you have done on our behalf through your Son, Jesus. Um, and help us dwell on your word and, and the truth contained in it this morning, not just at this time during Sunday school, but also in our, in our service later on. Lord, prepare our hearts for that time. Prepare our hearts to receive your word. Um, cause us to submit our life um, under your word. Let it be the ruling factor in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're continuing our series through DeYoung's book, Kevin DeYoung's book, Men and Women in the Church. And we're actually ending, we're entering the home stretch of this series. I think we have, including today, three more lessons left. Um, and today we're going to essentially take the, the truths and principles we have learned from, from mining the biblical data so far in this series. And we're going to try to take those truths that we've learned and make some some applications with them and get practical on how these distinct roles for men and women in the church play themselves out, how they, how they play out in reality. And this is a good place to just pause for a moment, I think, and talk about um, the diversity within the complementarian movement or the complementarian camp. Because as I'm sure you're all well aware, complementarians can affirm essentially the same truths or, or agree on what Paul is teaching in all the passages we've studied so far, and they can agree in principle, but come to apply these truths in different ways. And we touched on some of these differences in earlier studies. One of the, the common differences within the complementarian camp goes under different names. Some call this difference narrow and uh, broad complementarians. Others call it, call it a thick or, or thin and thick. That one just, I don't like the sound of that, calling people thick. Um, I prefer narrow and broad. It's generally talking about the same thing, I think. But when you hear language like this, it's typically referring to what extent do the biblical teachings on men and women need to be applied. The, the narrow complementarian will say these truths and principles are only for the home and church um, exclusively, sort of exclusively. So male headship in the home and in the church, but there's no biblical requirement. Or some would even say that the Bible doesn't speak to gender roles in, in other spheres of life, like the role of men and women in the government or in the business world or, or society at large. On the other hand, a broad complementarian will say the biblical truths and principles on men and women extend beyond the church and home. So the complementarian position extends beyond the home and church into the, the rest of society. And to make things more complicated, within these two camps, broad and narrow, there are more nuanced positions how these biblical truths should be applied, like whether there are fundamental differences in manhood and womanhood and how they are expressed. Um, complementarians differ on these issues. And that's not even getting into the topic 
today, our topic today, of what men and women can do in a local church setting given the guidelines and prohibitions in Scripture on this. There's a diversity here as well. So all that to say, complementarians are not a monolithic group in some sense. There's a diversity of views and applications of the core central truths that all complementarians affirm, which honestly makes things complicated for lessons like today. Because today we're going to get into the practical outworking of the complementarian position. So I'm making the claim up front that I understand that not all complementarians are going to agree with everything DeYoung says in this chapter, or my beliefs on these issues, which, which align very closely with DeYoung's. But I would also say that every local church has to come to a decision on some of these things, like whether or not women should teach Sunday school to a mixed audience of men and women, or, or small group leadership, or, or who participates in our Lord's Day worship services or even who we support as missionaries. For all of these, we have to come to a decision of how we think the clear biblical teaching on men and women in the church should be applied, which as we will see, takes a whole lot of wisdom. Now what DeYoung does in this chapter is give guidelines or, or, and, and principles for complementarians as they seek to apply the clear truths about men and women in Scripture. And as I said, I largely agree with the young positions and find them to be helpful in, the, in this discussion of how men and women are to live together in the life of the body and in, in, in a local church. So let's dive in. And after talking about all the diversity and differences within the complementarian camp, let's begin with where all complementarians agree, which, and functionally they, they must agree on, on this issue, and that's male-only eldership, or male-only, the male-only pastorate. Again, this is a, a bare minimum requirement to be considered a complementarian. One must hold to male leadership in the church, specifically the office of elder or pastor. This is one of the main distinctions between complementarians and egalitarians. Egalitarians believe, at least most of them, that, that women can hold the office of elder or pastor, and complementarians don't. Now what DeYoung does in this chapter is really helpful, and that is first to show that the New Testament has three words for one office, which is pastor, elder, and, and bishop, or, or sometimes translated overseer. And DeYoung argues, and I think this is really important belief to hold, not just for this um, topic, but just for your doctrine of ecclesiology, that all of these words are referring to one office. So these words can be used interchangeably. A pastor is an elder, an elder is a bishop or overseer. I personally wish we would just bring back um, bishop into our vocabulary. Um, so the next time you're introducing Blake, you can just call him, hey, this is my bishop, Blake, and see how embarrassed he gets. But it's totally biblically faithful, so you can just say, it's the same office. But the reason this is important and wise for DeYoung to add in this book is because that there's some Christians who will argue that, yes, um, 
Yes, Paul limits the office of elders to male, but not pastors. They make a distinction between the offices and add an extra office or a different one. So they would have an office of pastor and an office of elder. And women then could be pastors because Paul only says they can't be elders. So do you see what move they're, they're making? Well, I think the young shuts this down by looking at Acts 20 where all three of these words appear and he shows how they're all referring to the same set of spiritual leaders in the church. So in verse 17, the text says that these leaders and elders um, are elders. And in verse 28, while Paul is addressing these same elders, he commands them to keep watch over the flock as overseers. Episkopos is the Greek word. And to care for or pastor the church of God or shepherd the church of God. And DeYoung points out that these spiritual leaders in Acts 20 are called interchangeably elders, overseers, and pastors, which indicates that these three words mean the same thing or they're referring to the exact same office. So if there is one office of pastor, elder, overseer, then the argument doesn't follow that women can be pastors but not elders. The New Testament just doesn't have a category for two separate offices of pastor and elder. There are, however, two offices that God does give the church. Elders, pastors, which, which we've been talking about, and the second one is deacon. And simply put, elders carry out the ministry of the word by regularly teaching the scriptures and shepherding the flock God has given them, while deacons carry out um, the, what could be called the ministry of mercy in a congregation, meeting the physical needs of the body through service and attentive care. So those are the two offices that the Lord gives his church. Now in 1 Timothy 3, Paul gives qualifications for these two offices, elders and deacons, or the necessary required attributes, characteristics needed for a Christian to hold either of these offices. And what we see in regard to the, this discussion on men and women in the church is that Paul affirms that Qualified males only can hold the office of elder. Again, this is where all complementarians would agree. Only men can be pastors. And DeYoung points out a, a couple proofs for this in the Bible. First, as we've seen throughout this study, is that there has been a consistent theme or pattern throughout Scripture of male leadership throughout the entire Bible. So we should expect continuity of male leadership within the New Testament church unless explicitly stated otherwise. That has been the, the pattern throughout Scripture, so that's what we should be looking for in the New Testament. And if we look at 1 Timothy 3, and Paul's list of qualifications for elders, we also see some, some more evidence that the office res, is reserved for only men. First, DeYoung points out how an overseer or an elder must be a husband of one wife. So this phrase literally could be translated a, a one-woman man. Paul isn't requiring here marriage for an elder, or else he and Jesus would, would be out of luck pastoring a New Testament church. Rather, what Paul is requiring is that a man must be faithful. And if he is married, he must be faithful to his wife. 
But notice here that Paul assumes that an elder will be a man, a faithful man. But he doesn't talk about a female elder being a one-man wife or a wife of one husband. He only makes the statement that the elder must be a one-woman man, which I think strongly implies he assumes the office is for males alone only. Second, de Young points out an argument from the, from the literary structure of 1 Timothy. He argues that the fact that the qualifications for elders follows immediately behind Paul's prohibitions regarding women in the church that we went through last week in 1 Timothy 2, where, if you remember, Paul prohibits women from teaching and exercising authority over men. De Young argues the fact that these elder qualifications come right after those prohibitions on women is very important. And that Paul may have had eldership in mind when writing 1 Timothy 2, verses 8 through 15. And more evidence for this argument would be that if we look closely at 1 Timothy, we see that two unique functions given to elders in a local church are teaching, which we see in, in chapter 3, verse 2, and ruling, which we see in chapter 5, verse 17, or having authority in the congregation, which are the two exact activities Paul specifically prohibits women from doing in the church. So it seems you could rightly make the connection that between the prohibitions Paul gives in 1 Timothy 2 with the qualifications for elder, given that the two unique roles elders have in a congregation are exactly what Paul prohibits women from doing. So another way to say this is that in 1 Timothy 2, 11 verse, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 12, Paul is, he, he functionally prohibits women from serving as elders because he prohibits women, women from doing the two things that make elders elders. Does it make sense? Now on to the second office of the, of the New Testament church, deacons. And this is where the unity within the complementarian camp goes away. Uh, complementarians are split on whether Paul allows for deaconesses or female deacons in a local congregation. And that is primarily because of 1 Timothy 3.11. When Paul is giving his qualifications for the office of deacon, he says in verse 11, and in my ESV translation, it says, their wives likewise, likewise must be dignified. Now the controversy comes in that word for wives. It is the same word for women. So depending on the context, that word can either mean women or wives. Obviously this has very big implications. Is Paul saying the wives of male deacons need to be dignified? Or is he talking about women who can hold the office of deacon and must be dignified or qualified? I, I honestly think this is a pretty difficult interpretive conclusion to come to, and I personally can see the validity of both sides of this argument. Now, I don't want to get into the specifics of it today because I don't think it will serve our time well, but I'll just say that de Young is in the camp that women should not be deacons, at least formally hold the office, and that verse 11 is referring to the wives of deacons. 
I personally agree most with this line of thinking, but just so you guys know, not even um, every elder in our church um, agrees on this issue. Um, and that is okay. I think that that's, that's good. Of course, we have to make decisions as a church whether or not women can serve as deacons. But my point right now just for this study is just to say Christians, even in the same congregation, even in the, in the same elder room, can disagree on this is issue and still be able to serve together, given they could submit to the decision the church makes on this issue. Tom Schreiner, who I've referenced a, a ton in my time here, he, he was a professor and pastor of mine when I was in seminary. He has written a ton on complementarianism, a very important scholar in the history of this movement, several important essays and books, big-time complementarian, and he believes women can serve as deacons. So all this to say, complementarians disagree on women deacons. But I do think DeYoung makes an important point in this chapter that I think we should note um, and apply. And that is in some... The point is that, that some of where you land on this issue matters on your particular, what your particular local church expects or requires of deacons. So the point DeYoung makes in, is that in his Presbyterian context, is that inherent to the office of deacon in his denomination is an extremely high view of the office of deacon and the, and the ordination and inherent authority that comes with that office. And I think we can take a principle from this idea to how we view this debate. And that is, I think it would be wrong for a woman to serve as a deacon if that role or office has some authoritative or ruling um, function within the body. So I have always been a member of Southern Baptist churches until this one. And one big issue, I think it's an issue, in, in Southern Baptist churches, generally speaking, is they don't have... A lot of them, they don't have a plurality of elders who, who lead the church. Typically, the, the setup goes, there's, there's one senior pastor, and to help him lead the church, they also have a board of deacons who, who sort of function as what we would think of as elders. Now, in a situation like that, I would be much more hesitant to say a woman could be a deacon because they're, they're exercising an authority uh, an oversight, a rule of the congregation. Do you see the distinction? Now, in complementarian churches that do have female deacons, they typically, at least the ones that, the ones I know of, they're, they're very quick to highlight that deacons are, are servants and exemplary servants with no leadership, no authority within the congregation. So they're trying to say that there is no authority in the position, which is very important to hold the integrity of 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. So rather, they're, they're just identifying this individual as an exemplary servant. And I think this is important to keep, again, the teaching of 1 Timothy 2, where Paul again says that women can't have authority over men in the local church. So that's deacons and elders, the two offices that Paul gives and, and how men and women serve in those functions or don't serve. Any questions on those before we move on? Comments? He, 
So I think De Young is in the PCA. He was writing from his opinion, but I don't know. He didn't make a comment about his denomination. So next, De Young moves on to, to practical questions of how women being prohibited to teach and exercise authority functions in the, a local church context. And he begins this section by noting two ditches that complementarians can fall in that we should avoid or that, that aren't totally biblically faithful. And I think we all have a proclivity to fall on either of these ditches, so it's good to know which, which one you're, you're prone to, which ditch you're prone to fall in. And de Young calls these two bad approaches to applying complementarian principles. So first is those who are too restrictive. These people may default to traditional women's roles in a church that may or may not be rooted in Scripture. The second approach is... is the opposite of that is too loose. These individuals are too loose. De Young argues those who fall into this ditch insist that a woman in a congregation can do whatever an unordained man can do in a local church. Really, they're, they're flattening any distinction between men and women and their roles in the church would be the, the danger on this side. And these two approaches typically fall Again, this is just my observation. I have no data or science to back this up. But, but these two approaches typically fall along the same lines of broad and narrow complementarians that we talked about before. And de Young writes about the shortcomings of both these approaches. He says, both approaches lack the nuance necessary to apply all the realities we've seen, from the design in Genesis to Jesus' inclusion of women, to Paul's twofold prohibition against women teaching men and having authority over men. I think generally, um, de Young is on to something here, that there, there are two approaches to applying these complementarian truths that aren't fully faithful, and we must be aware of them lest we, we fall into either ditch. Now, before de Young moves on to the roles that women can't do in a congregation or that they're, they're prohibited to do, according to Scripture, I think he's wise to tell of all the ways women can serve and minister in a local congregation. And there really are a vast, a vast number of ways women can serve and minister in a congregation. And I'm going to highlight a few of these and then list off a bunch more later that I tried to think through this week which I probably didn't get all of them. Well, I know I didn't get all of them. And I'm taking a lot of this from an article written by um, Tom Schreiner. It's called the, the Valuable Ministries of Women in the Context of Male Leadership. The Valuable Ministries of Women in the Context of Male Leadership. And the first ministry I want to highlight is that women can participate in, and maybe the, the most important and sadly, neglected ministries in a local church is prayer, the prayer ministry of a church. So a significant ministry that is absolutely essential to the health of a local congregation that women can and should participate in is the prayer ministry in the church. The way that works for us here at EF is that we hold a monthly prayer meeting that everyone should attend. I think we have one this Wednesday at 7 o'clock meeting here. It's great. You should come. Um, and at these meetings, we don't 
just limit men to those who can pray. Women are free and encouraged to pray in this meeting. And I would argue that where there is a healthy church, there is a healthy prayer ministry. So this is a, an essentially vital aspect of a, of a healthy local church. It's a vital ministry for a local body that women can and should participate in. A second ministry, and really there's, there's two and one here, but a second ministry women can participate in is personal evangelism. Personal evangelism. Women, again, can and, and must share their faith with others. Women should be able to clearly articulate and defend their faith and seek to persuade others of the truth of the gospel. And I believe women can share the gospel with non-believing men. This is um, also related to another ministry women can engage in, which is world missions. Women have historically and continue today to advance the gospel globally in world missions by moving to another culture to spread the gospel to the lost. Now, where missions gets a little complicated in this discussion, and for women, is in the area of church planting or planting a church. Christian women must be clear that, that are missionaries, that, that men should assume leadership roles in the governance and teaching ministry of a church when it is established in a new culture. But a woman can evangelize and participate in a number of ways in world missions. Remember that the prohibition for women teaching men in, the, in, in 1 Timothy 2 is in the context of a local church. Right? And specifically, a local church's teaching ministry. And I personally don't think that it prohibits women from evangelizing or, or articulating the gospel to non believing men. Another area women can serve in ministry is, is teaching other women and children teaching other women and children. The, the clearest text to see this in the New Testament is Titus 2, Titus 2, verses 3 through 5, where Paul writes to Titus and indicates to him that, that older women, I think the emphasis there is not on a particular age as much as uh, a spiritual maturity. Um, so Paul indicates to Titus that mature women, spiritually mature women, have the responsibility of instructing younger women regarding a life of godliness. And this is another vital ministry or component of a healthy local church because each local church is made up of quite a lot of women. And actually, many studies that have been done recently show that women actually make up the majority of congregants in American churches. So younger, less spiritually mature women need older, wiser, spiritually mature women to teach them how to live godly lives in their lives and 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 their conduct. So I trust you see how this is vitally important to the health of a local congregation. The church has a real need for women who are theologically and biblically sound and, and solid and, and godly and good influences so that they can instruct the younger women in the matters of the faith and godly conduct. Related to this ministry is the teaching of children in a congregation the teaching of children in a congregation. Of course, like other ministries I've already listed, this isn't solely reserved for women. 
as our ch children, I do think, need to learn from godly men as well. And not all women are perhaps gifted or intended to work with children. But a great opportunity for women to serve and to, to, to teach the scriptures, to expound the scriptures, is to the children of the church. And just as an aside, and this might get to a, be a long aside, so I have a lot of opinions about kids' ministry, um, this ministry, children's ministry, I think has fallen on, on hard times in certain contexts. This may have something to do with something in the culture at large, but there seems to be a trend I haven't seen it so much in this congregation, but in the church at large that does not think children's ministry is very honorable or even a significant thing for a Christian to do. And I'm going to give you some reasons why I think that's the case. You can take these or leave these. But one reason for this is because it's hard. It's, it's very difficult. It's a very difficult thing to teach kids the Bible and, and, and the depths of theology. In fact, when I was doing a, a pastoral internship at my church in Louisville, one of the assignments given to us is to, to take on teaching the kids in the children's ministry classes, which we all ended up dreading. We'd just much rather preach to adults. Um, and the reason the elders gave us that assignment is because it's actually really difficult especially for some seminary guys who've learned all this, these big theology concepts, all these interpretive skills, and, you know, we think we know everything in the world until we have to explain it to a six-year-old, and we're dumbfounded. And we all realize we don't know this stuff as good as we thought. It's really difficult work. It, I think it takes a really creative, intelligent skill. And I would argue, I don't have any, any study to back this up, but... It's just my observation, but I would argue that women have a unique disposition to teach and communicate effectively to children in a way that they, that they can digest and process. And I would say probably even more so than men. And when that skill or gift is used on unpacking, on unpacking biblical texts and, and theological concepts in the kids' Sunday school classroom, so, so kids can, can grasp the truth of God, when that's occurring in a local church, it's an extremely powerful ministry and a powerful tool God uses to impact these kids' lives for, for generations to come. So I think kids' ministry is vitally important to a health of a local congregation. And just while we're, we're thinking about this, another reason I think kids' ministry sometimes gets a bad reputation and people are hesitant to serve there is because you don't always get to see the fruit of your labor. In fact, I'd say you probably don't get to see the fruit of your labor. And I think this is true for a lot of Christian ministry, but especially true of teaching children. Sometimes it will seem like nothing is, is getting through to them as they're, they're, they're sticking pencils up their nose and drawing pictures of lizards. I've had experience, as you can tell. Um, it seems like a futile ministry, right? But I can point to testimony after testimony of brothers and sisters that I know in the faith that a big part of their salvation testimony was the faithfulness of a children's Sunday school teacher who was just faithful week after week teaching the Bible, teaching theology, teaching good doctrine. 
So though it may seem like nothing is getting through, the faithful week after week teaching and unpacking of God's word and God's truth to children does have an incredible impact on these kids' lives and an impact on the kingdom of God. And the point for us is that this is an amazing ministry that women can participate in, a teaching ministry. And I think generally women flourish in this ministry. They have a unique set of gifts and dispositions that, that benefit them in teaching children. Now this does lead to the question that is a very big gray area, which is great. Let's just jump into the gray area. And that is, when does a boy become too old for a woman to teach? It's a difficult question. Um, you could phrase it as, when does a boy become a man, and thus a woman would no longer be able to teach according to Paul's prohibition in 1 Timothy 2? Complementarians, I'm sure you can guess, they differ on this. Some say 18. 18, right, when, when, when kids... When boys typically go off from their, from their parents' care and they start living on their own. Others say closer to 13 would be the appropriate age. When, when their body biologically begins to, to go through changes into manhood. I personally favor sticking with closer to, to 13 than 18. I think this is where there should be a transitioning from kids moving into adult-like ministries. So it should follow kind of the, the biological clock. That makes sense to me, where they're being taught by men. But again, churches and Christians differ on the exact age or, or the cutoff line. Is it 16, 18? Churches just differ. And I don't think we can be too rigid in our implementation of this. It is difficult. It's a difficult thing to decide. Now, there's also many more ministries and ways women can serve in a local church. I'm not going to go into all of these in detail, but I just want to list off the ways women can serve. Because, you know, the obvious criticism against complementarians is that because we don't, or I would say because the Apostle Paul doesn't allow for women to teach or exercise authority over men in a local church, then women are functionally less than, or sometimes even it would be articulated that women are functionally useless if they can't do this one office or to teach men. That's the criticism. And the point DeYoung and Schreiner and other complementarians are making in these chapters is that is absolutely false. It's just not true. It's a lie. Women can serve and make an impact in the local church. So that's why they, they put these lists in here of what women can do. So here are some more things women can do. And this is not an exhaustive list. But women can serve on committees of the church insofar as those committees aren't an authoritative governing body um, in, in, in the church. Um, they can come alongside elders and deacons as they face difficult situations involving women in the congregation. Women can, can minister and serve to the sick and elderly in the congregation, maybe by, by making them a meal or just visiting um, the elderly and the sick. They can publicly, uh, publicly and privately fight against abortion or, or pornography or, or any wickedness that is prevalent in the culture. Women can participate in prison ministries or other context-specific ministries. Women can counsel other women who are facing 
difficult circumstances or who need biblical wisdom, so biblical counseling. Women can extend hospitality to members in the church, or they can host dinners, open up their homes in various ways for the building up of the body and to proclaim the gospel to the lost. Women can use their artistic gifts um, by ministering to the body in the music ministry of the church. Um, They can use their technological gifts. I don't know if you've seen the new EF newsletter, but it says it comes from me, but I make 0% of it. That's all Andrea. She's technologically gifted. Women can, can serve in that way. Any gift that they have. Women can participate in the worship service, and this is important, in appropriate ways based on the context of a local church's order of service. So women could read scripture publicly and pray publicly in certain contexts. And really the the list of, of how women can participate can go on and on based on each local church's needs and and context of each local church. So I hope you get the idea. Women can and must serve in valuable, meaningful ministries of the church. And really, I want to say this clearly. I'm, I'm saying all this with no agenda of softening the blow that, that women can't be pastors or teach men. In saying this, and, and DeYoung is saying this, because we believe this is what Scripture teaches. Fundamentally, we believe this is what Scripture teaches. This is what Scripture allows for. So we should, as being submissive to Scripture, go as far as Scripture does and, and follow what Scripture says. So any questions or comments on on this. Yeah, he actually makes the point that um, one of the the reasons that I'm trying to remember, but one of the reasons that women can and should teach kids in the church is because they are called to do that in the home, and you do that as long as they're under your roof. I would say you're you're, you're constantly teaching them biblical truth, doctrine, way to live their life as so long as they're under your roof as a mom to your sons. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that... Did you all hear Dennis? No. He's saying in Proverbs we get a... I always like trying to retell what Dennis said. Okay. <laughs> in Proverbs we get a... Uh, Insight that, that, or teaching that parents instruct kids even as they grow older, even as they leave the house, that that instructing doesn't just stop, right? We can still give um, counsel, advice, teaching to our adult kids as they're. So that, that I do think that the, the function is different, or not the function, but the, uh, the nature of the teaching will be fundamentally different, right? They're, they're, the authority is changed when they're outside of the home, but there's definitely going to be. <laughs> yes. And he's saying, Dennis is saying that the father and mother teach differently. They have distinct um, teaching functions in the teaching of their children. No, I agree. I agree. Um, so, 
I'm about to address that specific issue and I had to go beyond the textbook, the, the Young book, essentially. Um, but we're about to talk about that, teaching and preaching. Tom, you were going to say something? I, I was going to say there's some ministries that Yeah, I think I, I agree with that. Women are vital servants in the body and, and necessary, especially in, in dealing or serving um, widows, uh, single women, all those things. Back, you use the word servant, and that's what I'm that, 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 yeah, so that would be the one position that complementarians hold there. I was just making the claim there, or that's not what all complementarians believe. There are some that believe like the young, that because of the, the nature of the office, um, it should be reserved for men only. Not saying that women aren't deaconesses in a, a small d sense, as in they, they are servants, exemplary servants, but not hold the, shouldn't hold to the office of the New Testament church. Does that make sense? Good. All right, let's go on. Um, now, the reality is, and... As we saw last week, Paul does make prohibitions against what women can do in the local body of believers. So now I want to shift our attention and talk about what women can't do in a congregation. Of course, different complementarians will come at this in different ways, but for our purposes, I'm going to be following um, kind of DeYoung's guidelines and principles that he gives. Um, as John said, he doesn't really give exact um, practical examples that might have been helpful, but he gives kind of guidelines and principles that we can take because um, I think they're, they're very helpful in how we view these things as a church. So first, and we've already talked about this a bit, but complementarians believe women can't hold the office of pastor or elder. And I would argue then that women can't do the function of a pastor, teach or exercise authority over men. Now, I do want to bring up a growing belief that I've seen more recently among complementarians, and I think I've seen this mostly in, in people my age and younger. Well, you can't really get younger than me. Um, and that is the idea that women are allowed to preach or teach men so long as they're doing it under the authority of the elders. So there are some popular complementarians that advocate for this sort of belief. And I do not think it is wise, nor do I think it can be supported biblically, which is a strong claim, so let me explain. Um, remember in our study of the New Testament text that Paul gives in, in 1 Timothy 2.12 and in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 34 through 35, Paul gives a command for women to be quiet or to stay silent in those congregations. And we came to the conclusion that the reason they were to be quiet was due to the, they were in the formal teaching ministry of the church. And Paul does not give women the right to teach or exercise authority over men. So notice, though, as we mentioned earlier, that, that Paul doesn't state a prohibition of an office in the church. So Paul doesn't say that women can't hold the office of elder or pastor in those words. Rather, he says women can't do what pastors are called to do in a congregation, so we can come to the conclusion that women can't be pastors. Now, I think that this is really important. It sheds a lot of light on this debate regarding women preaching or teaching to men under the authority of male elders. Because 
that practice would seem completely contrary to Paul's teaching that focuses on the function of the elder, to teach and to exercise authority. So I find it to be pretty clear that Paul rules out such activity, women teaching or preaching to men. Paul rules this out by saying that in public teaching situations of a local church where men are present, women must remain quiet or silent. They are the, the learners in the situation. So my argument, which I'm heavily influenced by the argument of a man named George Knight III, um, so our argument is that no decision of male leadership, so in this case, elders giving women permission to preach, no decision from male elders can justify approving the exact opposite of what Paul commands. So in other words, elders don't have the authority to permit a woman to teach because in doing so, they completely reject the command from the apostle Paul. So for this reason, I think we should reject this growing trend, I guess you could call it, this growing idea that women can preach or teach men in a congregation given they're doing it under the authority of the elders, a, a delegated authority, I guess you could call it. DeYoung has an appendix in his book um, answering just specifically this issue, this question. So if you're more interested in it, you can look at his appendix now this gets to two more areas where I think women are prohibited from teaching in. And these are much more debated. But I think based on 1 Timothy 2, we can come to some pretty clear principles. And those two areas are teaching Sunday school and leading a small group or, or care groups for us when both men and women are present. DeYoung argues that a general rule that should be applied based on 1 Timothy 2 Verses 11 through 12, which is Paul's prohibition against women teaching and exercising authority over men. The principle is that, that men should teach mixed Sunday school classes and lead mixed small groups. And I think a helpful way to think about this, which I'm getting again from George Knight, is that Paul's prohibition against women teaching in 1 Timothy 2 should extend to every situation in the life of a Christian community where there is actual recognized teaching of the scriptures and the Christian faith to a group that includes men. I'm going to repeat that. Um, Paul's prohibition against women teaching should extend to every situation in the life of a Christian community where there is actual recognized teaching of the scriptures and Christian faith to a group that includes men. That is a debated statement, but I think it's a, a helpful guideline. And given this as a parameter then, it would be wise that men should be the ones teaching and leading Sunday school and care groups in our congregation, in our church. Of course, this gets a little complicated because I don't think women are prohibited from participating in a group discussion on the meaning of a passage of Scripture or sharing the impact of that passage on their life. So I don't think that involves teaching or exercising authority. So women can speak in a Sunday school class like this one, um, and they can share in care group what they're learning from the Lord, what they learn from the text. But I would say the formal teaching, the one at the head of the room, 
explaining the text or the doctrine should be a man. Of course, there, would, there could be an objection that what if, this is the objection, what if the Sunday school lesson isn't about scripture or doctrine? What if it's about something else? What if it's about um, history, church history, or some other practical matter? I would just say it's very hard to have a beneficial lesson in a Sunday school context that doesn't involve some explanation of a biblical text or Christian doctrine. So even if the lesson is on something like history, so let's say I'll choose an easy one for me, the history of the Reformation, the teacher would need to explain and teach the doctrines occurring in the Reformation, which I would find to fall under the category of teaching biblical doctrine. So it seems much wiser, I guess you could say even much, much safer, to, to only allow men to teach in a mixed Sunday school or lead in a mixed care group setting as we seek to be obedient to Scripture and apply the, the principle, the, actually the, the, the clear truth from 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 12, which again Paul prohibits teaching, which I think it's important. He doesn't prohibit, um, well, how do I want to say this? I think teaching encompasses more than just preaching. It's, it's, the, it's the communication of biblical truth and doctrine, um, which is what is happening right now. It's what ha- it's, and I'm not preaching. So there's a distinction I'm making here between teaching and preaching. And Paul, I'm saying, is prohibiting both for women to do in the presence of men in the congregation. And so any questions, comments on that? Well, I think we would need to make the distinction. Are we talking about the for, uh, formal gatherings of the church, of a local church, and then something outside of the local church, like a, a lecture? So a lecture on a Sunday night. It's held at a church, but it's not a gathering of that church. I, th- I would say there, there, there's a distinction there. Um, sorry. That, that's one way to think about it. I, I think what makes this complicated for me up here is that I'm hearing all these different voices on both sides that I respect that would come to disagreements. Um, well, let, let, let's think, for an example, seminary. So my seminary did not allow women to teach in the theology department. That's the typical case for most evangelical seminaries. Um, that's not in the context of a local church, but they are... Um, expounding scriptures, expounding theology. The, I don't think it's a clear, hard and fast rule as it is, say, that the seminary came to that decision as it is in the local church. So I think they could be wrong there. I, I personally think they're right, but they could be wrong. I'm saying we need to be much, have much harder guidelines or fences on this in the formal ministries and teaching ministries of a local church. And then when you get outside of the local church, I think there's more freedom to disagree. I have my own personal opinions, but I think there's more freedom to disagree about women teaching, even expounding scripture to men in a mixed audience. Which I, I agree with. That. I think, like I said this a little bit before, that to have a beneficial lesson for a Christian, you are going to have to expound scripture or doctrine to to the listener. That's what we need as Christians. 
so I agree with you that I think it would be very difficult to just say, hey, you can come speak, but you can't talk about what you want to speak about. <laughs> um, the question comes in, how do you apply this? Which again, like I said at the beginning, this takes a lot of wisdom. Um, I'm about to say it again to close. We should be gracious with each other. Um, I'm just want to again say, I think we need to have a uh, higher fence, higher, uh, I can't think of the right illustration. More care, we need to be more careful about guarding the, the, the teaching ministries of a local church and then have more freedom, I guess, and those ministries outside of the meetings of the church. Blake. Yeah, I think that I think that's true, and it gets to the point that this is difficult. It's difficult to apply these truths. I mean, it's in in certain situations. I'm gonna have to move on real quick. Sorry, um, and that it's a good transition to my closing here. And the last thing I will say is that even though the the principles and commands i think are very clear in scripture regarding the roles of men and women in the church as we've seen the application of them takes a lot of wisdom and thinking through difficult hard issues different difficult situations um, so i just want to say that we need to be patient with each other and gracious to each other when we disagree these truths aren't easy or, or neat to apply, or there wouldn't be so much diversity within even the complementarian camp. They're, they're real difficulties. So my charge to us, let's commit as a body to be loving and gracious to each other where we don't see eye to eye on these issues. But at the same time, we, we, we let us stand firm in our convictions of what Scripture clearly teaches. And that is men are to be the leaders in the church and the home and that women are not to teach or exercise authority over men in the local church. That's the clear command of what scripture teaches and that's what I believe we must hold fast to and be nice and gracious and patient with each other. So next week we're skipping chapter nine or we're skipping to chapter nine, skipping chapter eight. Um, of the young book. Don't worry, we'll get back to chapter 8. But Pastor Blake will be leading us through the Sunday school next week of exploring the God-given differences between men and women or the differences between biblical femininity and masculinity, which is going to be a lot of fun. Um, I think he's also sharing a story about fishing barehanded or something. Not barehanded, you always fish with your hands. Catching a fish with your bare hands, that's what I meant to say. So you can look forward to that. Um, and then the next week, the 20th, we'll end the study. I will go through chapter 8 of the Young book on the common objections to complementarianism. Um, and then we'll go to our next study. So thank you guys so much for participating. I really do appreciate it. It's very fun and beneficial for me to think. And y'all's insight is very helpful. So thank you. You are dismissed.